0: Acts chapter 14, second week of the third piece of our three-part series, the church in motion. We are looking at the unstoppable church, and this is where the mission of God moves out and goes throughout the world. The Chapters that we're looking at, 13 through 28, really highlight, mostly, they highlight the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. He went on three different journeys over a period of a number of years, and we begin to see how God used his obedience and the obedience of those that went with him to bring the gospel all over the world. Uh, And it's exciting to see how that works. And what happens in each one of these chapters we're looking at, there are principles. I think in terms of principles more than I think about, you know, particulars. And what I mean by that, here's like a a practical example. You know, people have asked over the years or like, you know, when you talk about purity, Paul, like, where's the line? Like, is this okay? Or is that okay? Is this okay? Is that okay? And how do you know when you're crossing the line? And how do you know when you're not crossing the line? And instead of saying this thing's good, this thing's bad, there are obvious things that are clearly good and things that are clearly bad. But all the gray stuff in the middle, you think Think about principles. You go to things like like Philippians 4.8. What's the things are pure, excellent, praiseworthy? Think on these kinds of things. Think about principles that you filter through. And there are principles throughout throughout the book of Acts that we see that were foundational in the church of the New Testament. And we are the church of the New Testament. So if they possessed these character traits, we... Should possess these character traits or these principles. And we have looked at many of them over the last number of weeks. Um, last week, uh, we talked about Jesus Christ as Lord, Savior, and Messiah. And maybe you remember me saying, um, Jesus Christ as Lord, Savior, and Messiah is the good news. Anything less is just news. And we need to be mindful of that, that in the Christian church today, um, it's good to feed people, it's good to take chainsaws and cut trees off the road. It's good and necessary for us to avail ourselves and to be mentors like the leap program in March and to, to help lead kids and meet the needs where they are. All those practical things are good. And as a Christian, Christians should be defining the bar and setting the standard for all of those things. All of those things should be done, but they're done as an overflow of the gospel message, which is Jesus Christ as Lord, savior and Messiah. Because that is the good news. How we live is a response to the good news. And I shared that last week because there, there is a, a, a push, it seems, where you know, doing the work of Christ involves the practical social gospel things. But we neglect to actually speak the word. We neglect to actually share the truth. And, and listen, feeding someone might help them for a moment, but it doesn't save them. God may use that to open their hearts. And when they're ready, the gospel message has to come forth. So Jesus loves you is an okay place to start, but we can't end there. Does that make sense? So important to understand this. We need to hear the gospel because if you are a follower of Christ this morning, you are because someone told you the gospel, right? I mean, I have a friend of mine years ago. He was a part of a um, a denomination and um, he told me that his denomination went to South Korea for years and years and years doing social gospel work. And he said it was a number of years ago that he was actually, he's, a, he's not in the ministry, he was doing his, his business work in insurance, and he, he went to this pastor that was buying insurance for the church, and when the guy found out he was part of this denomination he was thrilled because he said oh in the hometown that i grew up in in south korea your denomination built buildings and helped dig wells and all this stuff that did cool things to help transform the economy of the of the uh, community in south korea that this gentleman was a part of and he was so thrilled to meet this man from this denomination but he said well i do have a question for you though are you guys saved do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And he was shocked. And he said, well, what are you talking about? He goes, we did all this stuff as the denomination. And he said, yes. He goes, but when you came, he goes, you did all these good things. And no one ever talked talk to us about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when the Presbyterians came and they brought the gospel, we all became Presbyterians. <laughs> true story. That's a true story. And this isn't about pitting one denomination of another. But the conversation so struck me to say the good works are important, Right. We need to be, I mean, that's how you love people. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. And if we don't bring practical things to help someone, we really don't have a platform to preach the gospel. Um, They go hand in hand, and it's not a science, it's an art, if that makes sense. There's no formula. But I talked about that last week. Jesus Christ is Lord, Savior, Messiah is the good news. Anything less? is just news. This morning, um, we're turning a little bit of a quarter, but it's, it's connected, and it's called Staying Rooted in Your Faith. That's the message title today. Staying Rooted in Your Faith, out of Acts 14, 1 through 20. And if I was going to highlight one character trait I see in this passage in Acts 14, 1 through 20, it would be this. The church in motion stays on mission. The church in motion stays on mission. Now, if you go back and hit the rewind button... To the first week that we started this series in Acts chapter 1, the first character trait I said was that the church in motion is a church on mission. And now we're going back and we're looking back, not one year, two years, three years, four years. We're looking back over 15, almost 20 years from the time the New Testament church was birthed. That's where Acts chapter 14 picks up almost 15 to 18 or 15 to 20 years, depending on who you look at, when the church was birthed in Pentecost to where we're at Acts chapter 14, we see a huge gap in time. That's why we're going back. And I think it's great that Luke speaks about this, but we need to be mindful of the fact that if we're going to be an effective church and be who God has called us to be, the church in motion stays on mission. What is the mission of the church? Acts chapter 1.8. This is the word, These are the words of Jesus when he spoke to his people, to his followers and disciples. He said, but you will receive power. Remember, he told them, go to Jerusalem, stay in Jerusalem, don't leave Jerusalem. Because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my, what? Say it together. Witnesses. Witnesses, witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He gave them a road map. You're going to be my witnesses in our hometown. You're going to be The witnesses in Jerusalem, the southern region. You're going to be my witnesses in Judea. The whole, I'm sorry, Judea, the whole southern region. Jerusalem was the hometown. You will be my witnesses in Samaria, all of Israel, where there's half Jews and not Jews. And that's nervous. That makes Jewish people nervous because they didn't talk to Samaritans. Remember, some of them were Jews, some of them were not. There was a mix. They were like spiritual mutts in the eyes of the pure Jewish people. And you will not just be my witnesses to them. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's where Acts 13 picks up, ends of the earth. Acts chapter 2 is Jerusalem. Then you see all the way through, through 7, Acts chapter 3 through 7 talks about Judea. Acts chapter 8 is Philip and Samaria. And then you get Acts chapter 10 where Cornelius is a non-Jew, and it begins, and in 13 is the rest of the message to the entire world, and you see how Luke unpacks that as they became missionaries and spread the gospel all around the world. So, you with me? Does it make sense? Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay. Really, really cool. Um, man, Luke was smart. This guy was smart. Followers of Jesus have a mission to be the witness of Christ to the world. I would think we would agree with that, and yet people walk away from the faith. Maybe you know someone who has walked away from the faith. Maybe you've experienced that for a moment or a period of time in your life. It's not an uncommon thing to know someone who has walked away from Christianity. In fact, you know, we probably could do a personal survey and figure out people that we've known who for different reasons have walked away. There may be victims of one of three things, and maybe there are more, but three that I wrote down is disappointment. Maybe they were disappointed in God Maybe they had an expectation of who God was supposed to be in their life. God didn't come through the way that they thought he should, and they walked away. Maybe they were disappointed in people. I don't know if you know this, but no one's perfect in this world. And people have a great way of hurting people. You know, I have been deeply wounded by people that have called themselves Christians. And you know what else? I have deeply hurt people. It goes both ways. So maybe they're victims of disappointment in God. Or they're in disappointment in people. Maybe they were a victim of discouragement. Things aren't getting any better in their lives. They believed in their mind that Christianity was a link to this. And as a result, when it didn't happen, they became not just disappointed, but discouraged because the change has not come to pass. So they walk away. From Christianity, the last D, I don't know why I have the three D's, but it just seemed to work. The last one is deconstructionism, and that seems to be a real big movement right now that's happening in different places of our world and our country. But that's pulling apart what you believe. Just ripping it apart and pulling it apart. Now, asking questions is a really good thing, but when you fail to surround yourself with rooted, mature believers who can help you rebuild, you have no place to go but just scatter and divide. And what deconstructionism doesn't do very well is it doesn't give you a way to rebuild things in a healthy way. Scripture is very clear. Paul says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. That doesn't mean walk around scared. It just means be reverent towards God, and it is a journey. God is not afraid of the hard questions that we have to ask him, right? I mean, he's God. There's no question I'm going to ask him that he's going to say, oh, I never thought about that one. Jesus, what do you think? I'm like, I don't know. You know, like, he doesn't do that. He knows everything that we're going to ask him. He's not intimidated But many times, people jump on this bandwagon of deconstructing because of all these things that are coming into our culture and our community, and they don't surround themselves with rooted, grounded people to say, let's break it down. But then through God's power and spirit, let's build it back up. Because ultimately, your faith has to be your faith, not your mom's or your dad's or your aunt's or your uncle's or your pastor's. Our faith has to be here. And there's a healthy part of that. And I think most people, I would believe, that are actually growing and maturing in their Christianity, have partially deconstructed things in their lives when they've made their faith their own. I have. There are still questions that I don't understand, and it will always be that way, but there are elements of my life that I've deconstructed, but I've been careful to say, okay, now that I've ripped this apart, let's try to make sense of it. God, where are we going with this? And that's important for us to do. So maybe you're a victim of one of those. Maybe you've known someone. Looking at Acts 14, 1 through 20, we see Paul and Barnabas on a missionary journey. And they're experiencing some really great things and some really terrible things. And yet, and this is the cool part, they continued to stay rooted in their faith. How did they do this? Remember, Paul, for some of you that have been tracking with us, Paul was called Saul. Probably in all of scripture, the most significant transformation from someone who hated Christians to someone who loved them. From someone who persecuted the church to someone who pastored the church. Paul was the most significant test. He gave approval to the death of people that claimed Jesus as Messiah. And then he stood in place for those people later giving his own life as he was beheaded in Rome for the sake of the gospel. Huge transformation. He had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was blinded for three days, prayed over by Ananias, who's one of the New Testament heroes of the Bible, I think, and his sight was restored and as I said, he began one, from one who began persecuting the church, he now became one who pastored the church. So now they're in Acts chapter 14, and remember, we're over 15 years after that event actually happened, and he's still going, he's still speaking, he's still preaching in good times and in bad times. He's spreading the gospel message on his first missionary journey. We're going to read verses 1 through 20 together, and then I'm just going to talk on it just for um, a little bit this morning to help us understand what it looks like for us to stay rooted in our faith. So beginning in verse 1, Acts 14, it says, At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. Remember last week? Every time they'd go somewhere to bring the gospel message, they'd stop in the synagogues first. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace, by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it, and they fled to the Lycaonian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the gospel verse eight in Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet at that. The man jumped up and began to walk when the crowd saw what Paul had done. They shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. This is crazy stuff, isn't it? I mean, isn't this amazing? Like this is history and they're not, the the Bible's not the only one that records this stuff, but we can get there another time. Verse 16, in the past, he let all nations go their own way. I'm sorry. Back up 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and they rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in your seasons. He provides you with the plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Verse 19, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. And the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. I mean, I like movies, but come on. There's no playbook or summary or plot or whatever script that sounds better than this. This is like insane, right? I mean, if you can picture what it would have been like, it is absolutely insane. This is what missionaries and missions looked like in the first century church. Think about that. I mean, today we get in planes to go halfway around the world, take selfies and post them on Instagram. These people were going and walking on their feet in the dirt for a hundred miles to go from city to city to city, and they were getting people ticked off at them for the sake of the gospel. I love the authenticity and the relatability. These are real men with a mission to share the good news of Jesus Christ. They experienced really great things that we just read about, and they experienced really terrible things as well. And yet they remained undeterred in their mission. Isn't that incredible? I mean, when you just read, just stop and think for a moment about what they just experienced. They kept on keeping on, if that's good grammar. How can we learn from Paul and Barnabas today? In this year, thousands of years later, to stay rooted in our faith. I think there's two things we can look at. I always say that there are more because I don't want to be presumptuous to say there's there isn't more, but um, I see two things in here that I think are important for us to talk about two ways. We stay rooted in our faith, two ways that I think we see from their lives that we can apply to our lives and we can stay absolutely positively rooted in our faith. The first is by experiencing relationship with God, not just religious rituals, experiencing relationship with God, not just religious rituals. Now, I think one of the most like common phrases that people in Christianity have talked about over the years, and maybe you've heard this is, you know, Christianity is not about religion. It's about relationship. You know what I'm talking about. Okay. And, and people can kind of gloss over that after a while because they've heard about it so much, but staying rooted in our faith is just that our faith is not well grounded. If we have defined Christianity by the things that we do, Christianity is not about work. Remember Ephesians 2? For it is by what? Grace that we have been saved. Through what? Faith. This not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. So that no one can boast. It is not about our works that we become saved or we have the ability to be in relationship with God. It is always about the relationship. It is always about knowing God. The whole story of God's Word from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, Revelation, Genesis, I'm sorry, knowing God, walking with God, Adam and Eve, unhindered relationship with God. Sin breaks the mold. The relationship is severed, or I should say the relationship is broken. God promises to put it back together. He gives them the law to show them of their need for a savior because nobody can keep the law. It's impossible to keep the law. And they try and they fail and they try and they fail. Jesus comes on the scene in grace and the gospels and shows them that the law isn't going to be abolished, but he's the fulfillment of the law. And he offers himself as a sacrificial lamb, the payment of, of sin. For you and for me, that only God could do on on His own. His promise was fulfilled through Himself. His Holy Spirit dwells in us, relationship, and we'll be with Him with eternity. He walked among men with Adam and Eve. He lived around them in the Old Testament when He was birthed as the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He actually walked on the physical earth. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, and we will, in the future, be completely unified with Him, and there will be no separation. Between us and him, that's Revelation 21. This is about relationship, friends. This is about God's unhindered relationship to pursue relation. God on. Sorry, God's unhindered um, pursuit of relationship. Thank you. So God's unhindered pursuit. God's pursuit for unhindered relationship with man. I got it. My filing cabinet was going like this in my brain. God's pursuit for unhindered relationship with man. That is the story of the Bible. It is about relationship. When we get stuck in going to church as Christianity or serving on the worship team or wiping kids' butts in in nursery or greeting people when they come through the door, and we define that as Christianity, we will get burned out, we will get discouraged, we will get disappointed at some point, and we will walk away from God. Unless you know what it's like to have a genuine relationship with him, that is where the recharge comes. And all of the other things you do after that is the overflow of being in relationship with him. John 3, 16 and 17. We know this, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Right? And we stop there for a second. Eternal life. What is that? Hold that thought. Look at 17. We never really read 17, but I love 17. <laughs> for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to what? Save the world through him. He loved us so much that he sent his son so that we could have eternal life. That means we can float around with angels one day with our little wings, right? No, that's not what it means. If you wonder what it means, you just have to go to John 17, three. Look what it says. Now, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. If you want to know what the Bible's definition of eternal life is, it's not about that. We just live forever in some cloud. That's silly. It's about knowing the one who made us in his image. And you know, the beauty of eternal life, when Jesus prayed your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus said, the kingdom has already arrived. That knowing God doesn't begin when we breathe our last breath on earth church, right? It begins when we trust in Christ as our Lord and our savior. And that is where the experience begins. It's all about Relationship. You know what's so cool about this? I highlighted the word no. I don't know if you know this or not, but the actual word no there means full understanding through personal experience. It's also the word that's used to describe sexual intimacy. Are you thinking on that for a minute? It's also the word, wait, me, God, what? Sexual intimacy, what, what in the world is going on here? The word is being used to talk about the type of way that you can know someone better than any other way. Sexual intimacy is one of the greatest ways that you're going to know someone. In the Old Testament, they had a word, it was yada, it was to know God, and it was about you know, sexual intimacy in the same way. In the New Testament, it's this word. The whole point they're trying to show here is that knowing God isn't about knowing about him. It's not about being able to spew facts off in every verse that you can think about. These are important things, don't get me wrong. Knowing God is not going into a classroom and understanding. Listen, I could study, I could study everything I, I could possibly find about the President of the United States. I could watch every video, I could go to every news source, I could look at every history, I could understand his bio and go to Wikipedia and learn everything. But if he walked through this door today, and I went up to him and I said, Hey, Mr. President, he'd say, Hi, what's your name? Because he does not know me. I know about him, but he does not know me. There's a difference in knowing something about people. Versus them actually being in relationship with with you. You understand? Like there's a huge difference in that. And Paul and Barnabas knew God. It is all about the relationship and knowing the character of God. Knowing the character of God. Hear me on this, please. Not just through the stories of others, but through your own personal experience. You can learn to know God's character through other people by hearing their testimonies. Maybe you were encouraged by what you heard this morning your heart just kind of pounds a little bit and go, yeah, I've experienced that, or I want to experience that. True Christianity means that you're in the driver's seat, and I don't mean that you're driving your car. I mean, God is the one that's interacting with you, not just everyone around you. It's one-on-one relationship with you and others. That's why it's so important in the Old Testament to understand the names of God. If you go through the names of God, Israel had and I'm not just talking about like Jehovah and Yahweh and Elohim. I'm talking about the character traits of God that they used. So they called him Jehovah Jireh, which means the God who provides, or Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, or Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. Jehovah Nisi was the God, was our banner, means he was our covering wherever we would go in our protection. And things like Jehovah Sekenu, which was God is our righteousness that we are made pure through God himself and nothing else. These were just examples, and there are others, but I'm sharing that with you this morning because all of those attributes spoke to experiences that Israel had with the living God. You hear me? I mean, this is so powerful. He is our banner because when we would go up against our enemies, he was the one that fought for us. He is our banner. He is our provider because when we walked through the wilderness for 40 years and had no food to eat every day, he gave us manna from heaven. He is our provider. He is our righteousness because he shows us of the need from our sin and the penalty of our sin, and he makes a way for us to be in in right standing with him through the sacrificial animals, by sacrificing an animal. And knowing that we can be in right standing with God, he creates a way. And he's the one that did it. We don't do it. He's the one that did it. He points to a need bigger than ourselves. Can I ask you this morning, just for a few moments, how do you know God? What markers do you have in your life that show you who God is? In the Old Testament, they would call them stones of remembrance. Right, They were Ebenezers. Maybe you've heard this term, Ebenezers, before. And they would go places, and they would build monuments. You know what God calls us to do today? He calls us to build monuments. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9, he says, these are the commandments. I don't have the verse, I'm just going to read it for you. These are the commands, the decrees and the, Lord, the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing to the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and your children after them may fear the Lord, your God, as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. What he's basically saying is you're getting ready to go into this land. I don't want you to forget who I am. Remember who I am. Verse 4. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may greatly increase in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with your soul, and with all of your strength. Verse six, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. That's not literal, though you could imply that it's literal. What he's saying is talk about them in your home. Talk about them. As a topic of conversation in your house, when you're going to work or you're walking down the road, talk about God's faithfulness. Talk about God's law. When you lie down, when you go to sleep, talk about the goodness of God. Give thanks for the day that God has given. And when you get up in the morning, thank him for another day of breath. You know, This is what he's talking about every part of your life. In verse 8, he says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. This is all literal that they did, but it's all figurative as well. Because you tie it on your hands, your hands are devoted and exalted before God. Put it on your head, your thoughts and your mind is devoted to God. Put it on your home, everything that happens in your home is dedicated to God. You see how that works? The gates of the city, this place is devoted solely for God. That's why all of this continues to move in the same direction. And what we're talking about is the attribute and the character traits of God. He's saying, keep God in the forefront of your lives so that when you're talking, you're not just talking about stuff, you're talking about the creator of the universe, the one who loved you, the one who made a way to deliver you, the one that has a plan for your eternity. You know, one of the benefits I have of my wife being in the public school system and doing the work as a counselor is to hear just how jacked up these kids are. And I'm not saying that tongue in cheek. I'm saying messed up homes, messed up families, messed up truth, where they believe what they want to believe. They say what they want to believe. No one's taking responsibility for what the kids are doing. And we're watching these young kids come up with this idea of what truth looks like, they have no rooting, they have no grounding, they have no footing. And you know, that's outside the church. I ask myself the question how much different is it within the church? As parents, as dads and moms, are we rooted in those things? Can we have conversations about the things of God around our tables and in our homes? Do we talk about the faithfulness of God? Do we show our kids the Ebenezers in our lives to see God's faithfulness from? 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago. Do we show those things or do we just kind of, you know, hey, everyone's got a phone, everyone's got a Netflix, everyone's got a whatever, you know, like we'll hang out every once in a while and hope that they figure it all out by going to church once a week. I'm speaking in extremes, but I'm just saying there's a danger. And unless we keep the experience, the focal point, personal experience, we will not stay rooted in our faith. We need to know, we need to be reminded I have some things in my office and I pulled this off my desk at home or my, my dresser at home. This is a, uh, this is a license or a membership card to a fishing club that I've been a part of for a very long time since we almost, almost since we've been here at bridge. And I have all of the years, not because I'm just a pack rat, but because I, I keep them because the way in which we became a member of that club was nothing short of a miracle. And to some people, they just see a 10-year-old, laminated, silly membership card. But when I look at it, I see the miracle of God. (laughs) Not because I like to fish. Anyone that knows me knows that's not true. But my son loves to fish. And this was a miracle that happened in a way that didn't just touch my life, but it touched the life of the person that helped me get this. And I ask you this morning... Do you have the Ebenezer's in your homes, on your desks? Do you have them in your cars? Do you have them in your wallets? They don't need to be these big things, church. They could be something small and completely worthless to the world. But this simple little card, when I look at it, reminds me of the faithfulness of God. But can I tell you, every year I would get another one. And the next year I would get another one. And another one and the markers continue to build so that I can go back and see his faithfulness, his faithfulness, his faithfulness, his faithfulness. And when you look back and you see a lifetime of Ebenezer's, you can deconstruct anything that you want because you're always going to rebuild it because you're going to say, I'm not sure I understand this about God or this about God. But I would be foolish and ignorant to not look back and see all of the things that come together to point to his goodness. The point to his faithfulness, the point to his grace and his love. This is the way this works. And that's why this is so important. Paul understood Barnabas understood experience and they could look back for years and years and years and see his faithfulness. And they all add up and point towards the right trajectory of God's faithfulness. So when you're in a place when things don't make sense, and I know that that's the honest to God truth, that there are times in our life where things make no sense. The Ebenezer's keep us rooted. The Ebenezer's and the experiences keep us grounded. And my heart hurts when I see young people, especially, especially, asking questions that draw them away from the church. I don't care that they ask the question. You know what grieves me about it? It doesn't seem like there's anybody that's answering them. Why are they walking away? Who are the people that are investing into these kids? Who are, who are asking these questions alongside them? And if you don't know the answer, find it. I mean, you don't need to know everything. I don't, none of us know everything. But walk alongside someone. The greatest way that you begin to learn something, every teacher will tell you this. If you want to become an expert at something, teach it. Find someone to disciple. Disciple. Find someone, and I don't mean oh, I'm your teacher and you're my student in an arrogant way. I mean just walk alongside someone, and they're going to ask you questions that you're not going to know. I mean, my, wife, my wife asked me a question last night or this morning. I can't remember, and I thought, like, what, where did that come from? I, I didn't know the answer to it, really. I don't even remember what the question was. I don't, you might remember what it is, but I don't remember what it is. I don't remember what it was. There's something biblical, though, within the last 24 hours. It wasn't the, one thing, the other thing you're thinking about. Um, <laughs> Guys, what are you thinking? You don't have to know all the answers. You just have to walk. And what you will see over and over again is the faithfulness of God and the promises of God. And those are the things that keep us rooted. So, Experiencing relationship with God, not just religious rituals. It's about the transformation. It's not about the tradition. And when people walk away from God, the first thing that I ask and I look at is, what was their relationship with God ever like? And then I look after that and go, what experiences did they genuinely have that the devil stole from them? Oh, that wasn't real. Oh, that was fake. Oh, that was manufactured. Oh, God didn't really do that, really? Everyone that you're going to talk about, because it doesn't just happen one time. So when you were three, when you were 10, when you were 12, when you were 15, when you were 16, those were all just coincidences. And they're all manufactured in your mind or because you have manipulative people around you. No, maybe the devil's just stealing things and turning the truths into lies so that you can walk away from what God's already showed you is true. And I just want to challenge you to rethink that when you have people that are walking away When you have people that are questioning, go back to the experience. Go back to things like Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek him and you will find him when you seek him with all of your heart. The second thing I want to mention briefly today, and this is a brief one because the first one is the most important. The second one is if we want to stay rooted in our faith, following Jesus without making our commitment conditional on the outcome. We need to follow Jesus without making our commitment conditional on the outcome. And here's what I mean by that. This is not a quid pro quo. This for that. God, I will follow you if you do X, Y, and Z. Or God, I am going to follow you because I heard some pastor or some person say when they did this thing, this great thing happened to them. So I'm going to do that. You know where that really falls? I love this. You hear this a lot with financial management and tithing. You know, God calls all of us to give back to God. But then you hear a story of somebody that said, you know, God was challenging me to do X, Y, and Z. And, and uh, I mean, this happened the first year we were in full-time ministry when I, left corporation, when I left corporate. Like we took almost like a 50% pay cut to go work in church ministry. And God challenged me that year to continue to tithe at the rate I was making in corporate, not the rate that I was earning being a part of the church. I'm like, that's crazy. You know, and I was like, this is nuts. So we continued to give and it wasn't just directly through the church. It was helping people in different ways. And I remember and a year later, I went back, and I looked, and I noticed that in the savings account that we had, we had just as much money in the savings account then than we had the year before. And I look at that, and I go, okay, so listen, listen, I'm telling you this. That's good. Yeah, that's good. So, so we're going to say this. Um, here's what was really cool. If you go back to the Old Testament and you look at giving, you see there were three different times that Israel was challenged to give 10%. Every year they tithed. Specifically, they gave a tenth to the priests because the Levites needed the income to live. Then there was another tenth that they went every year and they actually worshipped in the temple together or in the the temple area and they shared amongst themselves. And then every third year they gave another tenth for the benevolence of of the villages that they were in. So that all the people had a third. So if you add all that up over a year, it was 23% or 23 and a third percent. They gave towards God every single year. When I ran my numbers in QuickBooks that year and I looked at how much I gave, it was 23%. Isn't that cool? Now you can listen to that story and go, well, if Paul did it, we need to do it. If God's not telling you to do it, don't do it. Because you're going to get mad at me. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Or you might get mad at God. Well, God, Pastor Paul did this. This is what I'm talking about. Following Jesus without making our commitment conditional on the outcome. I heard somebody else did this, and that was the result. So if I do it, I'm going to have the same result. No, you won't. Because it's not about a formula. It's about God's faithfulness through relationship. Does it mean he will meet all of your needs if he calls you to give? Of course he will. Will he do it like the person next to you? No. He won't. Paul and Barnabas understood that. They preached, and many believed. That was a good thing in Iconium, right? Those who did not believe stirred up trouble. That was a bad thing. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly the word of God, and God confirmed it, we see, in Iconium, with signs and wonders and the ability to perform miracles. That is a great thing, right? But then there was a division that happened, and it was so great that a plot to kill Paul and Barnabas gained traction. That's a bad thing, right? And they moved to Lystra, and a lame man was called to his feet by Paul, and he was healed. How incredible would that have been? Wouldn't you think, have you ever heard someone say this today? If we would just see God heal this person miraculously, they, everyone would come to Christ. Oh, God, if, if, the, if, if Jay-Z would just get saved. <laughs> Some of you are going, Jay, what? Hey, Justin Bieber got saved. The whole world should be saved now, right? We make these statements and we say, if this person turns or if this miracle happens, or if this this notable thing that's fame actually happens and this change, everyone's going to come to Christ. And what we see here is a lame man was called to his feet by Paul and he was healed. The locals misunderstood it. They immediately worshiped Paul and Barnabas instead of worshiping God. That's a bad thing. Paul corrected them and spoke powerfully against worshiping them. He gave thanks to God, which is a great thing. And then troublemakers came from Iconium and they stoned him to death. Or they thought. Whether he was dead or not, we don't know. A lot of people believe that the disciples came around him and prayed over him, and God brought him back. I mean, considering that the scripture says they gathered around him, they drug him out of the city thinking he was dead. He was pretty wounded. But the next day, he got up and left the city. There's a miracle in that church. What I'm sharing all this for is that people walk away from God because they lose sight of knowing him and instead they let their expectation determine the level of commitment to him. I'm only going to follow God if my expectation and reality match. Does that make sense? So maybe the issue isn't the reality. Maybe the issue is your expectation. You can expect great things from God, but maybe what you're expecting is something you want and not something God wants for you. Does that make, there's a difference There's a difference, and I'm not saying that because he's calling us to negative things and difficult things. No, I'm just saying these men understood following Jesus was not contingent upon expectations or end results in the way that the world would define it. You know, Scripture says in the end times that there will be leaders and pastors and teachers that that just tickle the ears of people all over to basically hear them exactly what they want to hear. And in fact, if you do make a large donation this morning, God's gonna bless you this week. (laughs) So take out your wallet. No, I'm just kidding. People talk like that in this world, they do. If you only pray more and have more faith, you're gonna be able to heal this person. If that person had more faith, they would be able to be healed. You can can move this out to whatever you want to move and say, if the expectation and the reality don't come together, the result is negative. What if our hands are just open and we're just saying, our lives are about Christ? Our lives are about looking at Scripture, understanding what God's Word says, following the Word and what God says in His Word, and leaving the expectations and the results to Him. God's Word says, give your eyes, your ears, your heart, your life to Him. He says, be generous in the way that you live. He says, pray over those that are sick. He says, let the word of God come from your mouth with boldness and courage because the Holy Spirit is the one doing it. Just be obedient to what I'm asking you to do and leave the results to him. Listen relationally. Listen relationally. Just because he does it one way with one person doesn't mean it's going to happen the same way with another. And I think because we are so formulaic as people, we're looking for the magic formula. And when we can get the formula right, then we're going to mass produce it. Mass produce it. You go around the country. This is true. Talk to other pastors and leaders because we've seen this happen. You want to hold a conference on how to grow your church and you will pack the house. You have a conference on how to disciple people and you won't get anybody to show up to that. Because having more people is a formula to make you feel better about yourself. And evangelism is not a bad thing. That's all good. Church growth is not a bad thing. Discipleship is not a formula. It is an art, and it requires relationship. There is no formula except for principles, and it takes a lot more time because you're giving your life, not just a few moments in a weekend. Our worship team is going to come, and we're going to wrap up in just a few moments. But can I ask you just to consider what was being shared this morning? And I want you to ask, you, ask yourself about what it means to be rooted in your faith. You know, if, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Christ, I have to believe at different times in your life that you've had questions that maybe didn't quite make sense or maybe you struggled with. And that's okay. Like, I want you to know, like, God is not at all intimidated by your difficult questions. I think I already said that. But I also know he doesn't want us to live there. I know that the Word shows us, and there's so much in Scripture. I I mean, if you struggle reading things in the Word and understanding what some of the things are, especially if you're reading some of the Apostle Paul's writing, you know, Peter even talked about that. He was like, Paul writes some things that I don't even understand. His, his, His writings are hard to understand. Peter said that. It's okay to not fully understand. But don't ever lose sight of the fact, please, don't ever lose sight of the fact that being rooted in your faith it's not about the fact that you may doubt sometimes. It's about your roots being strong and your foundation being faultless so that when the rains come, when the winds come, when the tornadoes of life hit us, we don't fall. We can't be uprooted because the roots are too deep. You know what I'm saying? And, and the whole tree could be destroyed, all of its foliage could be destroyed. And then when the next season comes around and that bird starts chirping, you see little growth that starts coming out of the tree again. Why? Because the life is in the roots, not in just the fruits. The life is in the roots. I mean, I haven't walked on this planet long enough, and there are others here that have walked longer than me. But I can tell you, in the season of life that we are in, looking at the Christian church, looking at what's happening in our world, looking at the... All of the things combined, for me personally, I feel like as I'm looking, we're in one of the most difficult times for the Christian church right now because Christianity is being put on a, on a platform and it's being evaluated to see what's true and what's not. And God is using this time. So it's difficult in that way, but it's good in another way that God is using this time to refine His people and to refine the church and to show us. But listen, in the deepest, darkest struggles that you could have and the things that you can wrestle through, stay rooted and stay grounded because it's in those times that you see the miraculous power of God come to pass. And if you're looking for God, he has already been looking for you. All you need to do is stay close to him. Well, it's hard for me to hear him sometimes, Paul. It's difficult for me to hear him. All I can say is, um, in the same way that a radio and a tuner works, You can either be dead on with the right frequency or you can turn a couple directions in either way. And the further away you get from the dead on frequency, the harder it is for you to hear God. And the answer is not God stops speaking, it's that we're not listening. So what is God calling us to do to stay focused, to keep our frequency aligned to his frequency? And whatever it is you're walking through, are you experiencing him? Do you see his hand of provision? Have you written down the years of his faithfulness? It's a beautiful thing to do. When you, if you haven't done this, I, mean, I encourage you, consider taking, consider taking a few moments every day this week and a notepad and just writing down all the things you know you can attribute to God's faithfulness from this week, from last month, from last year, from last decade, it doesn't matter. Write them down if you know them ask the Holy Spirit to remind you. of It's a beautiful thing to do that because when you do that, he does reveal himself to you and he does show you his faithfulness. But if you do that and you write these things down, you will see a trajectory that continues to point to the relationship he died for and that will keep you rooted in your faith. Does that make sense? I'm going to close in prayer and we're not going to sing this song um, together just for time but you're welcome to stay as the team does actually. Um, But I want to ask you because I always feel like, and this week I feel like singing a song is kind of like a trite way to end a, a message like this. God isn't necessarily just interested in the words that we sing. He wants to know what the words are that are written on our heart. So if you choose to stay as the team sings, do whatever you need to do this morning just to spend that time with God and talk to him. You can come to the altar. We have some prayer people that will come, and you can come and pray with them. You can sit. You can stand. Just use this time to be intentional. And if you're not going to stay, please just leave quietly for those that are going to go. But I'm just going to close in prayer, and the team will begin to play. And then you can respond however you want to respond this morning. Fair enough? Father, we come before you today, and I just thank you again for your love, and I thank you for your faithfulness, and I thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to know you, to walk in relationship with you, and to have transformational power birthed in us through your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you or have a relationship with you, that today would be the day that they would choose to know you, they would choose to walk in relationship with you, and they could call themselves a son or a daughter of God because of the faith they place in you. So God, we put our lives in in your hands. We know it's all about you, Jesus. I just pray as we respond today, your Holy Spirit would speak to us to not just speak to us and to challenge us, but to encourage us to walk closer to the author and giver.